Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends and feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, U.S. lawmakers are being asked to condemn the abusive imprisonment of two Canadian men in China. Will it help? More complaints coming in due to Amber Alerts. Over and above the people who dial 911 to complain, should we be trying to fix this system? And the Mueller report and Gerald Butts back into the Prime Minister's office. Do any of these stories resonate by the weekend? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. U.S. lawmakers in the House of Representatives are being asked to condemn the abusive imprisonment of two Canadian men in China. You have to ask yourself, what took so long? And, of course, can this all help? The motion calls for the immediate release of uh, Michael Kovrig and Michael Spaver f- and for due process in the case of a third Canadian. This is Robert Schellenberg, who had a previous prison sentence for drug smuggling there, uh, but now has had it upgraded uh, to death. Talk more about all of this. Donald Baker is with us, Department of Asian Studies, University of British Columbia, and is with us now. Donald, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Good to talk with you, Scott, from cool Vancouver. It's only 23 degrees here. Wow, that's unusual. Uh, 30 here. Uh, but, you know, that's the way things are, I guess, nowadays. Uh, why is this just happening now? Why are why do we just seem to be getting the U.S.'s attention on this now? Although I, we know that, that Donald Trump did apparently mention something to the Chinese president at the Japanese G20, but why is this happening now? I'm not sure why it's happening now, because actually this is the House of Representatives that is going to be... Uh, passing this resolution, but the U.S. Senate did the same thing uh, last May, and it had absolutely no effect. <laughs> the Chinese didn't take any notice of it. It's up to, to tell the Canadians, uh, you can't get your allies to tell us what to do. Uh, I've looked at the resolution that went through the Senate, and it's not one that will make the Chinese happy. It begins by justifying the American uh, uh, request that among um, the Hoi, if I could be detained in mm-hmm. Vancouver. Uh, and of course, that's what the Chinese are upset about. And so I don't think this measure will have much impact. Uh, I think it's just part of, it's not so much support of, of Canada as it is part of a growing anti Chinese feeling in the United States. Uh, so is there any significance? Is there any meaning to this? What happens now as a result of this? If an American diplomat, like the ambassador in, in Beijing, uh, would carry the resolution uh, to its counterpart in China, uh, to the foreign minister, and say, uh, you know, we're very upset about this. This seems to be a violation of norms of proper legal behavior. Uh, maybe, maybe something would happen. Uh, but I think the Chinese are going to look at this and say, first of all, it's just a, it's, it's just a resolution. There's no enforcement, right? This, the Americans aren't proposing to take any steps to punish the Chinese for holding these innocent Canadians. And so it, it's basically a good a good feeling measure by the part of the American Congress, but that I think any real impact it, it may make Canadians feel better that America has our back, uh, but they have our back in a very weak fashion. They really can't do anything, and if they want to drop the request that we continue to detain Hmong, um, Huawei executives. So uh, who is this designed to impress? I mean, it seems like it's just part of the dance, but uh, would this just not create more divisiveness between China and the U.S. and Canada? It probably will. <laughs> I said China not happy that, uh, that Canada appears to them to be trying to get its allies to also help them out. Um, 
But, you know, again, relations between the United States and China are not doing really well now. And, and as far as the United States protesting China, sentencing a third Canadian possibly to death, America just announced yesterday that the federal government of the United States is going to re- return to executing people, which they hadn't done in 16 years. Right. Uh, and so China will say, well, why, why are you talking to us about the death penalty? You've just reinstated it. So I don't really think this will have much impact, except they'll make the members of Congress, and it, this was bipartisan. It was Democratic and Republicans who, who support this. It will make them feel better, and they can go back and tell their constituents, if the constituents know what's going on, uh, that they are trying to help these poor innocent Canadians. But, but again, China, I think, will just simply ignore it. It's, um, China is upset that America asked Canada to detain Hmong. They don't realize that Canada had no option once America made that request. Canada couldn't say no. They had to detain her. Right. Uh, uh, does so, it matter? Uh, is it is it resonating with China that allies are obviously lining up uh, beside us? Does that does that resonate with them at all? Only if it had some concrete, I think, uh, impact, especially in the economy. Yeah. I don't see in, anything here about America uh, cutting back its trade with China anymore, <laughs> any more sanctions uh, uh, because of this. So, again, China's just going to see this as a piece of paper. And, and I, I can tell you, I'm not happy about the way China's responding because I happen to know Michael's favor. He's a friend of mine. Really? And I, I, know, he, I know he's not a spy. <laughs> I know he's totally innocent. And I'd like to get him back here as soon as possible. What can you tell us about him? Well, he's a... He's a nice guy who thought he he saw a little way to develop a business of bridging North Korea with North Americans through tourism. He's the man who brought um, Dennis Rodman to North Korea a few years ago. Right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he has a little, he had a little um, office north of the North Korean border in China where he arranged uh, for tourists to go to North Korea. And he, he, I would call Michael somewhat naive. He didn't, he didn't even think about uh, um, what it looks like to be seen as being friendly with Kim Jong Un. <laughs> he was just, you know, he, he likes the North Korean people. He didn't think about politics, and he had his little business going. That's all. And to consider him a spy, he's the least likely person I could ever think of being a spy. Why would they have focused on him because of the high-profile Dennis Rodman thing? That could be it, and, and because of his connections with North Korea in general. I mean, he's, he's the only Canadian I know of who regularly used to be able to meet with Kim Jong-un and talk with him. Hmm. Uh, it wasn't just a Dennis Rodman meeting. There were other meetings as well. What did he tell you about that? Anything? He just said that Kim Jong-un's like a nice guy. <laughs> really? <laughs> <He told me. laughs> Obviously, they didn't discuss politics. Or prisoner, sure. You know, uh, a political prisoner camps, whatever. <laughs> so, uh, did he was was Michael Spaver um, had had he received any threats or any inclination that you know he he's he's got to straddle a fine line here? As far as I know, and I'd, he had had no indication this was going to happen. He had no sign that the Chinese government was unhappy with what he was doing. He'd been doing it for about a decade. Um, it was it came out of the blue. As far as, now, I hadn't seen him for several months before he was arrested because he was over there in China and North Korea. Uh, but when I understand, he had no indication this was going to happen. If he was spending so much time in North Korea, why was he spending time in China? Well, he's he not a resident of North Korea. A res, he was a resident of China. That's where his office is, mm. right across the border. It's obviously very difficult, even for someone as friendly with the North Korean government as Michael Saver, to live in North Korea. What did he tell you about his life there? What was it like? He was a businessman. 
he was comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, he was running this business of um, helping tourists go to North Korea. That, and he enjoyed it. And and has anyone, any of his family, anyone heard any sign of him whatsoever? Not that I know of. No, yeah. we're we're trying. We're a GoFundMe page to try to raise some money because his business is gone now. Right? If they let him out of jail, he's coming back with nothing. Wow. Um, we're going to try to help him. But no, I don't think anybody's heard anything. But, uh, but he will have an incredible story to tell, that's for sure. Um, that he will. That he will. Uh, what, uh, this, this, must, um, this must be very troubling for you. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I don't like seeing friends in jail when, when they're innocent. <laughs> no. Especially in China. Exactly. We know what conditions can be like in China. I mean, I, I assume the U.S. government knows what it's talking about when it says that they, they can't turn the lights off in the cell at night. Yeah. They're, they're, being, they're giving long periods of interrogation with the same questions over and over and over again. Uh, and, of course, being accused of spying is a serious charge. Mm. So I'm, I am worried about both of the Michaels over there. Why? It seems like an odd industry, an odd business to be in. Um, and I don't know why I'm saying that. Um, what was the attraction for him? You know, I'm not really sure. Maybe he because when you think of Dennis Rodman, when you think of Dennis Rodman and Kim Jong-un and how that played all over the world... Uh, it was quite bizarre. It was, but Michael had, had already been running tours to North Korea before that. Um, no, I think Michael just, he, he likes living in China, and he saw an opportunity to make a living by doing what very few other people were doing. There's one other company, I think, in Beijing that also runs tours uh, to China. For how, how would he have got a meeting with Kim Jong-un? I don't, he never really explained to me, uh, but he did. Um, he was able to meet with him. And I, maybe Kim Jong-un thought that Michael... Uh, had some connection with the Canadian government, which Michael, as far as I know, does not have. Right, right. <laughs> wow, this is uh, bizarre. All right, uh, back to where we were in regard to uh, Canada-China relations. Uh, obviously, these, you know, back and forth isn't really helping anything. Uh, what about the restrictions in place, uh, whether it's canola, e- even meat restrictions, any sign of any of these loosening at all? Is this just... I don't see any sign that they're going to be loosened. China feels very confident now. Even though their economy is not growing as fast as it used to, it's still growing. And they feel that they have a much bigger economy than Canada does. And so uh, they, can, they, they, can, they, they, can let, they can let punish Canada without suffering any major damage themselves. And um, it's mainly their, their pride has been hurt, that a very prominent uh, business figure in China has been detained in Vancouver, although it's heard conditions of detention are a lot better than the two Michaels. Boy, they ever. Why Why yeah. hasn't China detained an American? That's a very good question. Uh, maybe they are afraid that with Donald Trump in the White House, <laughs> they, they know that our, our prime minister is a little more reasonable and level-headed uh, than occupant of the White House. So maybe they figure the getting away with grabbing Canadians is a lot safer than grabbing an American. Um, why do you think things have, um, uh, I, I don't want to say stabilized, but stayed the same for a while? I guess they have. We, you know, for a while, it, it seemed they were, they were plucking Canadians or threatening to. Has that subsided? Are we, are, are Canadians there uh, under threat, do you think? Well, there was a reason Canadian who was grabbed for drugs, right? But uh, no, I don't yeah. think Canadians in general are under threat. I think China is happy with, with the, with the, what they have now, right. or they to put pressure on Canada to release them. Uh, I don't. 
I don't think they're going to go any further and grab some more innocent Canadians. All right, well, cons- I may be wrong. Considering what is going on now in Hong Kong and demonstrations that are going on on a regular basis, we're seeing them. Uh, you know, just not the typical uh, demonstrations that are that are uh, stereotyped or characterized. We've seen seniors marching. We've seen um, uh, at the airport disruptions there. Um, considering what China is going through with Hong Kong. Uh, are they facing a massive public relations problem in the world, or do they not care just simply because they are so big? I mean, you know, uh, 10, 20, 30 years ago, everybody was trying to woo China and and bend down for them and and get down on one knee. Uh, Now it seems that that the perception has changed. I think Xi Jinping doesn't care. He's he's getting away with all kinds of things that... uh, a decent nation wouldn't be able to get away with, like what he's doing to the Uyghurs in Western China. And by the way, there are 300,000 Canadian citizens living in Hong Kong. Um, and what happens if the worst comes to worst and the Chinese military actually feels the need to, to intervene in Hong Kong and some Canadian citizens who are Chinese ethnicity get caught up in that? Uh, that will raise this problem with the China-Canada uh, relations to a whole new level. And with what's happening in regard to Hong Kong, and and we certainly know it was under British rule forever, and then back in 1997, uh, slowly power going back to China, uh, two-system, one-country, one-country, two-system scenario, Um, is it just a matter of time before China just keeps strangling Hong Kong this way? Well, it's definitely just a matter of time because they, they only gave Hong Kong 50 years to have a separate system. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, and I think I think Xi Jinping is is a more authoritarian than the, the Chinese leaders that preceded him in the recent decades. So um, he doesn't like what's going on in Hong Kong. He, he, they, I, I see on my own campus, by the way, students from China get very upset when students from Hong Kong describe themselves as Hong Kongers rather than Chinese. You know, um, Xi Jinping mm. wants Hong Kong to see itself as a part of China. And when people in Hong Kong express a desire for more political freedoms uh, than people in China have, that to him says, uh, says they're rejecting their Chinese identity, and it gets him upset. I don't think that he's going to send the Chinese military in there to intervene, uh, but it's possible. Are we not only going to see more unrest in Hong Kong? I, I think... Uh, we will. Uh, well, we'll see what's going to happen this coming weekend. Uh, a, pr- uh, a permit for a protest was just denied. People were going to protest that the attack, basically by thugs, uh, mm-hmm. that happened yep. a few days ago. Uh, so we'll see. But I, I think also the people in Hong Kong are well aware they can't push China too far. There are Chinese troops already stationed in Hong Kong. And, mm-hmm. they, um, and so they know, and, uh, and of course the border right there, uh, they know if they go too far, uh, they could lose what little freedom they still have left. And so, um, again, we'll see what happens. You never know what's going to happen if a demonstration is held anyway this coming weekend and the government cracks down and the people respond with violence. Um, it, it'll it, it'll be a whole new ballgame. Uh, that's a lot of citizens and, as I said, everyday folk that seem to be upset by this. How long before there it, it either it hits a tipping point or people start to leave Hong Kong? Well, we're already seeing people starting to leave Hong Kong and moving here to Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're yeah. Seeing a lot and, and, and been seeing that for years, yeah. Returning. Um, uh, is China sensitive to that? What are their thoughts seeing the exodus? Do they care? I mean, in a generation, this 
My guess is in a generation, this will be just like China, no? It will be. It will be. And in fact, China may want the people who want political freedom to leave. That would make it easier, right? That's now. right, yeah. No protesters. Right. Uh, so what does the rest of the world do while uh, China gets more and more powerful economically with each passing day? And relatively no regard for human rights. I mean, it, you know, they say this is their century. This is 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 their millennium. Um, where does that leave the rest of the world? Will the rest of the, will, will the rest of the world be fighting China? Uh, we'll be fighting them economically. That's for sure. And I think I'm an historian, and so I know that for most of, of human history, China has been the dominant power in the world. <laughs> so, um, and there's seem to be going back to that position. Yeah. And I don't think, especially under the current leadership in the United States, that, that the United States can really compete, do anything about China. We can't do anything about their human rights violations. We can't do anything about their uh, their increasing economic outreach around the world. I think we have to figure a way to work with them um, and accept the fact that they we know that the West can no longer tell China what to do. Nor longer can we, and as well, we can't live without them because over the last uh, several decades, they're, they've interwoven themselves into the West's economy. So, I mean, you, you can't live without them. That's right. What, what would Apple do without uh, China? <laughs> exactly. Uh, where do you see things going short-term in, a, in Hong Kong? I suspect that there'll be... If the, if the police are restrained and there are no more mob attacks on the protesters, there will be maybe two or three more weeks of demonstrations that don't calm down. Uh, as long as they don't, again, try to uh, revive that bill that upset people so much about extradition. Uh, I, you know, you can't keep up the, the energy to keep protesting forever and ever and ever. Eventually you get tired. Yeah. And I think, that's, I think if China's smart, they'll just back off and let people get tired. And just slowly and, and quietly do what they've been doing for the last several decades. Exactly, exactly. Donald Baker has been with us, Department of Asian Studies, University of British Columbia. Donald, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Good talking with you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Amber Alert System, uh, only about a year ago. It was about a year ago that the Canadian system changed to make it mandatory that all alerts must go out on all devices. So far this year, Ontario has said six alerts, five of which have ended with the abducted child being returned home. Six led to an arrest, but only after a 40-year-old uh, Toronto-area man was charged in the death of his 11-year-old daughter. Um, uh, and again, uh, Amber Alerts just recently, of course, won this week. Uh, uh, emanating out of uh, Brantford, and eventually the, the uh, perpetrators caught in Hamilton. The child returned home safely. Uh, this discussion has been going on since all of this happened. Uh, we remember at the beginning it was kind of primitive. Uh, some people received this, some people received that. It seemed as if the system was becoming a little bit more consistent. People were willing to give it time until uh, they got all the bugs worked out. But here we are a year into it. And, uh, you know, obviously y you can't deny that these things um, ha have helped. Certainly law enforcement says that... Uh, uh, it, it's been a great asset for them, and the stats are there. Some may debate whether they had released an Amber Alert or not. Would these stats be the same? I don't know. I guess we'll never know that, will we? But again, uh, any sort of emergency broadcast system, these have been going on for years over your television and such, and it just makes sense 
to do it over uh, devices, whether it's an abducted child, whether it's a, a weather event that's coming, a disaster, uh, some sort of, of emergency. Uh, why would we not have these? In, in the world that we live in, it just makes sense. Uh, and I think that there's been a lot of chatter of late of people who have been calling uh, 911 or other emergency service numbers in order to complain. That's not right. That should not be happening. You should not be calling 911. And there's actually a petition online that's been started uh, asking Ontario to come up with some sort of penalty or law or what have you. Uh, if people do do complain via these emergency numbers, that there'll be a penalty or, or charge or what have you. Um, you want to do it on social media and complain? That's up to you. But to actually call a 911 operator and take them away from the issue at hand is is just... It's just stupid. It's, it's as simple as that. And not only that, eventually, um, I, I think you will get a talking to from somebody. So that being said, uh, should the system be better by now? Should we have had the bugs worked out? Should we have a tier system, different levels? Uh, some are complaining about consistency, depending on how old your phone is. Uh, some don't get the message still. Uh, some get a message that you have to respond to. You have to physically go to your phone and shut it off as if it was your alarm clock um, in, in order to, to, to stop the noise from happening. Uh, is the noise too intrusive? Should we? Are there different ways of doing this? Um, and, you know, it seems that everybody that opens their mouth gets screamed at. And, you know, I, I can see the point. People will say, gee, you know, your sleep is more important than a child's life. Your, your favorite show is more important than a, a child's life. Of course it isn't. Absolutely not. And, again, the ones that have dialed 911 need a stern talking to of, of, of the priorities in life and such. That's not the way to go about complaining about such a thing. Social media, one thing. You don't tie up EMS operators or, or, or 911 operators. So uh, as more calls come in, what is the solution? Will this be changed or is it just a case of shaming these people or fining these people until they stop? Or should the system be fixed? An interesting tweet that, that came out uh, the other day in regard to this uh, the person, rather than complaining about the sleep that they had lost or, you know, the heart attack they almost had with the sound of it all, uh, they talked about, well, if the system can't work out these bugs, how effective is it in actually getting the information uh, to save the child? Could this, you know, it's not just about making the system more efficient so it, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, uh, it doesn't irritate people or tick them off. Uh, it's also about how effective can the system be, period, because in the end, it's about helping the kids or getting the word out during an emergency. So if it's having problems here, how do we know it's being effective with what it is actually supposed to do? Uh, lots of questions. Uh, let's bring in Lawrence Ashworth, Associate Professor and Distinguished Faculty, Fellow of Marketing, Queen's University, and on the line now. Lawrence, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Uh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, are people who complain about the system all selfish jerks, or do they have a point? <laughs> um, I, I don't know if they're selfish jerks or not. They certainly shouldn't be calling uh, 911, as you mentioned. But the, I, I think the, the point that um, sh probably should be acknowledged is that the, you know, for one person, an interrupted night uh, is probably not a big deal. But 
with an Amber Alert, we're, you're looking at um, an interrupted night for potentially millions of people. And one of the questions that I have there is what what's the cost of that? Um, you know, we know in other contexts that fatigue increases the likelihood of accidents um, at work or driving, um, etc. And I, I think we should be just at least open to that possibility or look for any evidence that can speak to that. I mean, God forbid we'd, that we do more harm than good with 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 the alerts. That's obviously something we would want to avoid. We have received notes like that into our newsroom where, you know, the person's been working shift work, the person's this, or they have to keep their phone on because th- there's an emergency in the family or they have to tend to their aging parents or such. And I mean, there, there's all sorts of, uh, of different facets to this brought into the conversation th- that probably the average person doesn't think about or it doesn't apply to. But these people certainly have a point. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a point when you look at the effect sort of on aggregate across millions of people. I think for any individual person, uh, they don't really have you know, too much of a point because, as you say, you know, the whole intent of this is to um, just to to rescue a child. Um, and but what we should be doing uh, to make good decisions is look at the benefits of the Amber Alerts. I think that's an important question, too. You know, to what extent are we confident that the presence of the Amber Alert is actually saving lives or speeding recovery time? versus the costs of that and um, across, you know, when you look at the, the, the negative potential impacts across the millions of people it affects. Especially as time goes by, if these alerts become more frequent. I mean, you're basically doing it, what, on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, uh, six months, uh, maybe even every couple of days. If, if, yeah. if, I mean, if it, we don't know until the crime's committed, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, it's. I mean, I think that's that's hard to predict. Um, we've certainly got a sense of how frequently they're likely to come now. Um, I think one of the the big questions in all of this, to to me, I mean, I'm a, a consumer psychologist, and part of my my interest is in the how how best to um, to um, what language do you use, what messaging do you use to best engage people. And right now we've made without them. annoying them, without well, without sh- sending them away. Ex- exactly, that's the thing. Right now we do it by annoying them, um, by imposing a cost on them, and it's not clear to me that that's actually the most effective way to what you're trying to do is persuade people to be vigilant. And what you're, we are in fact doing with the noise is that we're actually encouraging them to very quickly turn off the Amber Alert. Right. Right. Yeah. Stop the noise is the first reaction. Exactly. It's not to look at the information on the screen. It's it's stop that before the whole house wakes up. Yeah. Um, and I think it's worth it's worth investigating. That's exactly where my interest in this lies. So this does the system does need help. It does need a fixing. I think I, I'm, I mean, I would be hesitant to say it definitely needs fixing. What I would be more likely to say is that I, I think we should be investigate some of these other possibilities to see if there are better ways of doing it, ways of doing it that don't impose the same costs and that potentially increase the objective of the alert, which is vigilance. So should there be, and again, I don't know if this is possible with technology or the opposite with technology, everything's possible, but what about different tiers or different levels of emergency? Because it seems the issues are uh, the person's, you know, in another part of the country or another part of the province, although, you know, I guess it doesn't take long to travel uh, by car and then this information often could come at a later date. Uh, But is there a way to... um, you know, perhaps uh, 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 
alter things so uh, more it, it's concentrated more on a geographical area. It's concentrated more on the people who would it would affect. Uh, something as simple as if you're sleeping, obviously you're not going to be much help, so we don't need to talk to you. So if the phone shut off, because that's what a lot of people are complaining about. My phone's been silenced and it's still it's still coming across. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but at that point, how do you pick your emergencies? I mean, an Amber Alert is one thing. What about if there's a tornado that's blazing through town? Uh, are you going to roll over and hit snooze on that one? Probably, uh, yeah. Is, is there a way to, should there be a way for people to modify this or even opt out? Um, I'm, I mean, I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not certain about the, the opting out possibility. I know lots of people have, have talked about sort of having more targeted um, Amber Alerts. But of course, the point you raise, I think, is valid there, which is that it's not clear the extent to which um, abductors and victims stay in the area where it's initially reported. To, to me, one of the obvious things for us to think about is, you know, the, in all of the costs to the Amber Alert come from one feature of the message, and that's the noise. Um, it's not clear to me that we wouldn't be able to achieve similar benefits by having the message and, and maybe even thinking about sort of more effective formats for the message without the noise. Then people can self-select in those people who are in a position to, to be vigilant um, they're the ones who will look at the message and will pay attention to it. Um, and, you know, it, it's quite possible that there's some, some beneficial effects of that. Uh, he, here's a typical email. Why can't people just shut off their phones at night? If an Amber Alert wakes you up in the middle of the night, you must be expecting a call, right? But again, I've had people who have sent us notes that have said, I have to keep my, my phone on. Uh, I've got a family member in the hospital or I've got a mother or a, or a father who's, who's uh, not well. And, and, and it, so, I mean, this, it, it isn't always a choice for people, I guess, to shut off their phones. Um, opting out, I would agree with you. Uh, it doesn't work unless everybody's in. But should you have different stages? Um, okay. I mean, maybe I'm not. I mean, that, talking about shutting your phone off, I think, you know, a lot of people, we're becoming more reliant on cell phones. I'm not sure it's a reasonable solution to tell Ontarians to turn their phone yeah. off, which is perhaps their only form of communication every single night. We certainly wouldn't do that with a landline, and many of us are moving to a cell phone. So I'm not. You know, I, I think there's probably a better solution than just turning off cell phones. Although I will say, for certain, a good chunk of people are going to start turning it off because mm. they can't afford to be disturbed in the night. Uh, are other parts of the world doing this right? Um, the We got uh, our the system from, was sort of inspired by the, the US system. Yeah. Um, and um, they they have similar conversations uh, in there too. Um, I think, you know, you have a lot of people um, looking at the successes of Amber Alerts and, the, and talking about the importance of them things that I would absolutely agree with. But what I've seen less discussion of is the, and I, I'm not sure how unique this is to Ontario, the, the, the noise and the mandatory interruption. Yeah, um, yeah the, the noise calls. just does, uh, yeah, you, you can't help but hear it when it goes off through the house. Um, I remember those old uh, emergency broadcast system things as a kid in the 60s and 70s and such. They didn't seem to have the intrusiveness that these ones do. The, yeah. Absolutely not. I mean, people think about how people use their cell phones. They are, you know, a fixture in their lives. They go with them everywhere. So there's, I don't think there's anything you could really do that would be more intrusive than having an automated noise on someone's phone.
Um, some have said, how do we know that these people wouldn't have been found anyway if we didn't do the emergency alert? Are, 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 is there proof? Are, are, is law enforcement or officials standing by the, the, validity of this, the validity of this system that it does work, we just need to fix the bugs? The, that, I think that's, I mean, that's a good question, and it's one that's very difficult to answer. It's exactly the same question that they've been asking in the U.S. You know, what would have happened without the Amber Alert? Um, the, from the evidence that I've seen, Amber Alerts do seem to increase, uh, de- or I should say decrease, the time to recovery. Uh, so they, they have uh, improved uh, outcomes there. But there's very little evidence that they actually increase the number of lives saved. Um, in Ontario, in particular, I think the question is not so much, you know, what would what would things look like without the Amber Alert? To me, it's more what would things look like with a noiseless Amber Alert? Hmm. With the Met, because that really is the that's the the much less costly alternative. Hmm. Uh, will we be able to look at stats five, ten years ago, and and would it be accurate to say, well, the recovery rate or the speed, what have you, is so much here and it was so much there, therefore these are either a success or not a success? It's uh, we. It's going to be difficult. We don't. I mean, as I mentioned, they do have statistics in the U.S. Um, and I've seen some of those statistics, but they don't have the appropriate comparison. The comparison being what would happen without the Amber Alert or what would happen with a different type of Amber Alert. Should we have a handle on this by now? Um, you know, I, I think people had patience for a while, but now it's been a year. With technology being what it is, shouldn't we have figured this out by now? Yeah, I don't. In some ways, I think we sort of, you know, given we've decided, at least for now, that this is the system that we want, I think it works uh, after, you know, you mentioned this earlier, the, there were some initial hiccups, but it seems to work pretty well now, given what they're intending to do. The bigger question is this, are we, are we doing it in the right way? Are there improvements we can make? And I think we, that we need some additional investigation. Do you think that sound, that alarm is what seems to be uh, bothering most people? Do you think if it was a, a, a lower alarm or a muted alarm? I mean, geez, phones even vibrate or blink and people are already all over them. I mean, it's not like we need an air horn mounted to the, to the thing in order. Oh, is that my phone? I mean, like you said, these things are practically you know, you might as well put a chip in your head. They're so close to us. Uh, if we removed that alarm or made it mutable or what have you, uh, do you think that would satisfy a lot of this? To me, that's the that's the clear first step. I'm not I'm not saying definitely removing the noise, but investigating whether we could do something with that and still sort of achieve the same level of success that we have. Uh, because that's the, really, that's exclusively the thing that's upsetting people. I mean, this is nothing new when you get an email, uh, even when you get certain tweets, even when you get certain alerts from wherever you're, you're, sent, you're subscribed to, whether it's a news service or whatever, you'll often hear a swoosh or, or a sound effect of some sort when you get a new message into your phone. Aren't we aware of this anyway? Do we need something that's so, that, that blasts us so much? That, that's exactly the question. It would be nice to have some yeah. uh, evidence that would, would actually speak to that. Does it really have the intended effect over and above some of the, the less costly alternatives? What about this? Uh, you can change your alarm like you change your ringtone. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that could work too.
you know, I, I don't know what that would be, but maybe something that's, you know, uh, less intrusive, less, uh, you know, did they have this, did they have this problem during the days of air raid sirens? Hey, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> how come you're testing that thing now? Yeah, exactly. Uh, or even volunteer firefighters. There's some. I, I remember growing up in a small town, and you'd hear the siren, and that was the call for all the firefighters to get to the hall. Uh, where do you think this is going? How long do you think before we get this worked out? Um, I I don't see any indication that things are likely to change in terms of the nature of the the alerts in the short run. So I think we're probably going to go kind of uh, through through this this procedure. Uh, quite a few times, but hopefully at the same time this is going on, um, we can look at some of the, we can gather evidence around the success of this, around some of the costs, and and ultimately make an informed decision about whether, you know, we want to commit to this and stick with this path, or whether there's things we can change uh, and, and, and have an improved system. If people do keep complaining about this, there'll have to be changes, will there not? I mean... I don't. I don't know if that's. I mean, I think there's a lot. Of Especially if they become more right? frequent. I'm sorry. Especially if they become more frequent. Well, yeah. I mean, it's possible, but I, I see. You know, I actually think there's fewer complainers than counter complainers. It seems to me there's a handful of people who yeah. call nine one one, and um, you know, the bulk of the population recognizes that is just not a, a sensible thing to do. And social media, I guess that's what it's there for. You know, exercise your right. If you want to, absolutely. Lawrence Ashworth has been with us, Associate Professor and Distinguished Faculty Fellow of Marketing, Queen's University, talking about the 911 Amber Alerts and some who complain uh, when they get one because it's waking them in the middle of the night or interrupting a show or, or such. Whatever the debate is, obviously something needs to be fixed. One thing we can all agree on, dialing emergency numbers or 911 in order to complain is an abuse of the system. Lawrence, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Lawrence Ashworth, Associate Professor, Distinguished Faculty Member, a Fellow of Marketing, rather, uh, Queen's University. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. So getting lots of uh, action on the, the Amber Alert thing, which, uh, you, you know, and I think the first reaction is, what the hell is wrong with you people? It's a kid's emergency. Like, can we not, society, we're supposed to help each other. I mean, that's my first reaction, but you know what? I got an older phone. My wife's got a newer one. Uh, Mine didn't wake me. Hers did. So, but again, for me, it's less offensive. It's less intrusive. But if you got a newer phone, and I understand even some of them, you have to shut it off like it's an alarm clock. So you have to actually physically get up, look at it, and then acknowledge it and power down or shut it off or what have you. And, um, you know, these these complaints have been coming. But again, as we tend to do in society, a society of extremes, either you believe in something way over there or you believe in something way over there, but no sort of common ground in the middle. And I think where the offense or the problems that has come up here is people are who are and it's fine to get pissed off about it. Tweet till your heart's content. Go on Facebook, knock yourself out. The problem is, is when these people call 911 or any of the other emergency services numbers and tie up emergency personnel, bitching and complaining. That's stupid. No one should be doing that. And I'm for all, I'm all for finding those people. You want to complain, complain to the proper sources, you know, knock yourself. You you want to be uh, amber alert, angry, 
Go on social media and do it. Or talk to your local politician and try to make changes. The fact that we are hearing so much about this, I think we will see changes. Because again, just like the system is designed to be most efficient to find your child, it's also got to be the most efficient in getting the message out. And if people are pissed off about it, it's not doing the job. And, you know, lots will say, and I got a note here um, in regard to uh, why can't people just shut off their phones at night? What the hell is wrong with you people? Do you need your bum wipe too? Uh, If an Amber Alert wakes you up in the middle of the night, you must be expecting a call, right? Perhaps they are. Perhaps they've got a loved one in the hospital. Perhaps they're caring for an elderly parent. And if the Amber Alert goes off, they think it's them making the situation even more traumatic. Not everyone is comfortable shutting off their phone. They might as well be implanted right in their head for some people. It's not that easy. They may have to be on for personal reasons or emergencies. But clearly, there needs to be... And, and you know, we were talking uh, with Lawrence Ashworth, Associate Professor, Distinguished Faculty Fellow of Marketing at Queen's University, and he thinks it's all the tone. And I said to him, what if you could change the tone like you change your ringtone? I mean, you know, you see people, their phone vibrates for a split second. Ah, they're all over it. You get a breaking news alert or whatever from your favorite media company. Sometimes swoosh, it comes across with a noise. You get an email, you get a ding. You get notified for everything. So... Does this necessarily have to be as intrusive as it is? Why not let people pick their own? There's an emergency alert. You should read it. Maybe that's all it needs. We don't need. Sounds like a World War II movie and a submarine's going down. It's bizarre. So instead of just coming to some sort of solution, we do what we do now. We've got a fight on one side and a fight on the other and no common sense in the middle, which is where you'll find Daddy and Alyssa Freeman. Uh, let's bring her in here. Public relations, pop culture expert, principal at Alyssa Freeman PR. She's on the line with us now. What are your thoughts on all that? First, Alyssa, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I always love being on your show, Scott. You know, the Amber Alert thing, It's I think you've got to put some context in it that if it was you, if it was your kid or your family member, you know, I always think that there, but for the grace of God, go I, right? Yep. Um, although I, when I was listening to you, I think that there is something to be said for, you know, perhaps a different sound or you can have your choice of sounds. So for example, the people, the one place where I do think that alerts are well done without any sound is uh, I have the, ne- the Weather Network app. Yep. And, you know, when they come up, you know, in Toronto, there is a heat warning starting at this time. Yep. And then it comes up again and says the heat warning is over. There's no bells. There's no whistles. But I do pay attention to it because, yeah. like anything else on my phone, yes, I, I see it. Now, am I going to see it, albeit at 3.30 in the morning? No. Um, and the one thing with the Amber Alert system is that they, they alert you to this, which is fine. But then there's no follow-up to say that they were found. At least I didn't get any follow-up. Yeah, usually I, I think what they've started. I think what they've started doing now is they'll blast across the Amber Alert, but because people were complaining that they'd blast another one a half an hour later, saying, "Okay, everything, everything's cool." So I think what they do now is they'll blast the first one across, and if it's and there's no emergency, then via social media they'll tweet out that everything's canceled. 
Right. So, or else you have to take it, it's incumbent upon yourself to go look to find out what happened. So, you know, but I don't know if it needs, I mean, maybe there's just some severity according to tone. Like when I get a tone like that, honestly, I'm thinking that the world is falling apart and I better think ever. Yeah. Yeah. You're running for your life. There has to be, I think that there has to be some thought given to the type of tone that goes out. And, you know, as for this business, when people phoning 911 to complain, I mean, I can't even give any comment or airtime to that because yeah. it's, it's beyond stupid as far as I'm concerned. Like, really, you need to complain to somebody. Go go talk to your dog and, and, and see what your dog says. Well, again, that's what social media is for. Go do it there. Well, I agree with what you said. You know, go tweet, you know, your anger, your angry, blah, blah, blah. You know, go tweet it out to the wind and let your 53 followers, you know, hear what you have to say. But, uh, I mean, other than that, you know, you know, we have to put this into context. We have to put this, we have to create a better situation. You know, this is not the first Amber Alert that we have had within the year. And, you know, when you keep beating something and don't create any change, it's a problem. So we keep having this problem, having this problem. The you know uh, emergency response just says, "Well, people just suck it up. This is what this is what, how it works." But honestly, how much longer can you go on with this type of you know holding statement without thinking, you know what? Maybe there is a better way to create this widget. Maybe we need a tiered response in terms of sound, so that people understand. Like it might be just a bing. Because believe me, even if you are the guy that's on the run, you're going to see it on your phone, whether they blare it out or not. And again, at the end of the day, as long as the message gets to the user of the device, who cares what the method of delivery or the alarm is? Why not let them pick their own? Let me tell you, this was all devised, I'm sure, by some bureaucrat sitting in an office with his or her head down, hoping that the whole thing blows over until the next time the alarm goes. This is something where, you know, you have to take stock, you have to listen to public reaction, because it's the public that you're depending on for the information to catch the person. Well, again... So if you're ticking off the public... Yeah. Yeah. And they're all, they're going to start turning off their phones. Yeah. Like, if you want the opposite behavior to happen, mm-hmm. then keep doing what you're doing. But again, this is no different than go back to the days of the clock radio. You could either get a or you could turn on a music thing. Or even there's some that would, the, 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 the alarm would start slow, like low, and then slowly pick up. Again, I'm not saying that that's the method for a, an amber alert sort of thing. But the point is... Even way back then, they let you choose your, quote, alarm. And I think that that has to be, it really has to be um, a public's choice. Or if you don't want us to make the choice, you make the choice for us. But we don't like the choice right now. So do something about it in order to, uh, in order to address public reaction. Are you surprised they don't have a handle on this by now? Yeah, I am surprised. I think they just figured this is the way it is. Too bad, so sad. And yeah, that I really do believe that's the attitude. It's like, let's, you know, again, that's why it sounds like a submarine's going down in World War II every time there's an alert. All right, let's move on. Uh, your thoughts on uh, what is happening with this manhunt across British, uh, started in British Columbia, oh now is gosh. is in Manitoba. This, blow, this blows my mind. How, how do you... My mind. How do you think those people feel in that small town of Gillum where you know everybody knows everybody's business? They don't lock their doors. There's nothing but one road in, one road out, and a kilometer or two out of town, these guys uh, burnt out a vehicle. I mean, it, it, it's amazing that, uh, that, or you can just imagine the hysteria that must be on in that town. Well, you know, let's 
step back a bit and a bit and look at this story arc. Okay, there was the couple who were killed. Um, that with the boyfriend from Australia and the girl, I think, was from North Carolina. And then there was another man that was killed. And then we feel that these two boys, I'm going to call them boys, I'm not going to call them young men, but these two boys um, are also in danger. And so you watch every channel on the dial, and it's all about, we got to find these boys. They went and talked to the father, and the father pleaded yeah. in, you know, right to the camera, do your job, do your job. Well, they're doing a job now, but it's not the way you thought it was. And what I find interesting is that the father continues to talk. So it's gone from, you know, abject worry to absolute remorse. And watching this play out in real time, you know, as a watcher of news, is fascinating. And, you know, if you want to talk about Amber Alerts, give me an Amber Alert about somebody that there's a manhunt mm. and that they might be in my area and to lock my doors and to lock my windows. Mm. That's what we need the Amber Alert for. And furthermore, there was a gap of information between the time that the uh, a truck was burnt and the time where it was all in the news, they were looking for these two boys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, listen, I'm not expecting the police to divulge all their uh, information on their investigation because they're doing an investigation. It, 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 it is a crime scene of some sort. But when that was put together, you know, the one word that I read in all news reports was in a stunning turnabout. And it is. It is a stunning turnabout. And when was the last time there was a real manhunt in this country? This is something that you see in the movies, when you're on HBO, when you watch Netflix. But here we have this live and playing out, and quite frankly, it is frightening. And, you know, I guess it changed from uh, two that had disappeared to two we're looking for in, in suspicion of these murders when they were spotted. Uh, and obviously right. they weren't being held. They were they were running away. All right, let's move on. Earlier on in the week, uh, we were talking about uh, the appointment of, uh, or I shouldn't say the appointment, bringing back Gerald Butts into the fold, into uh, the prime minister's uh, election campaign. Uh, also announced this week, Jody Wilson-Raybould will have a book drop sometime in September. It appears what a shock. it appears that it's more on more on indigenous issues, or, or, or seems to center around that. Not if she wants it to sell. Well, again, at the end of the the day, it doesn't matter what the book's about because it puts her in front of the press selling the book and they'll ask them, they'll ask her the questions whether it's in the book or not. Uh, are you surprised this story, considering how it resonated way back when, is it resonating now? Is Butts being back in, in all of this, him in and Jody Wilson-Raybould out, does that, is that resonating? Is this story dead? Uh, I think the story is dead and Judy Wilson-Raybould can do what she wants in order to try and resurrect the story. But uh, to be, I mean, this is obviously a very strategic uh, PR ploy. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good one. If you want to keep the story in the news and nobody else is going to do it for you, well, make the news yourself. I mean, that's certainly a, uh, a valid strategy. It's not like but, she said the uh, book was about SNC-Lavalin and what happened with butts and stuff. She didn't say that, right? No, she did not say that. It's, it appears it's more about, uh, you know, her, her goals for the Indigenous community and such. But that being okay, said, well, when, when, she's, she when, when it is she's out there doing the, the press junket on this, obviously the press is going to ask her about it. But that's part of it, right? So yeah. the book may be about her thoughts on Indigenous rights, which yeah. some, may people, some people may find, you know, absolutely scintillating and other might 
find it. That's news. Yeah. But it's not really about the book, is it? It's about her appearing and remembering that, you know, what platform is she going to run on, seeing as she's running as an independent? She's mm. not running on behalf of any party. There's no power, as far as I can see, that she can exert in Parliament in order to... I don't even know what her objectives would be when she's in Parliament other than to keep everybody in check and to make sure that there's integrity. I mean, what else? I mean, I could write her 10 key messages right now. So in, instead of that, go on a book tour, because a book tour is like a campaign whistle-stop tour, isn't mm-hmm. it? You go from city to city to city, and you hope that people show up, or you make sure you bust them in to make sure that they show up. And she gets to have her say. So she talks about Indigenous rights, and she talks about how important it is for Canada. And then inevitably, they'll open up the the floor for questions. And gee, what do you think they're going to ask? Mm-hmm. So if she's going on a multi-stop book tour, she's going to have her she's going to have her key messages definitely in place. And she's also she will be media trained. And I think that Warren Kinsella was working with her. So goodness knows he knows what he's doing so he'll make sure that she is media trained in order to answer the questions in such a way the thing about it is is you know how many how many times and how many stops you know can you have the same answers to the same questions Mm -hmm. so is it going to play out like that are they going to have little dribs and drabs and just you know uh, trudeau needs to wait until the next book tour in uh, yellow knife to hear what she has to say and maybe a little you know smart bomb drops then i don't know how, I mean, it, it's an interesting campaign strategy, I'll give you that. How concerned is the Prime Minister's office that, you know, just prior to the election that she will be in front of the media and getting attention? No, they're concerned. They're absolutely concerned. And, you know, they're creating... How do you counter that? Right now about it. How do you counter that? Knowing how this do you is, counter it? Now, knowing this is coming, say, the mid, mid-September, late September? Um, probably the first way will be, well, listen, you know, she's entitled to her opinion. However, we, you know, we found otherwise... And, uh, you know, you, she can do her and we're going to do us. And then, depending on how it goes, it will probably, the messaging, uh, will probably go, um, go against her in a much, uh, more heightened and nastier way. Because I can tell you, I mean, you can already see with the, just the inklings, the early, early inklings of the way the, the, the campaigns are playing out now. Right now, it's just sort of polite disgust. But I think it's going to be one of the dirtier ones that we have seen in our federal election history. Uh, yeah, especially as the prime minister moves from a sunny ways to a bit more of a, mega- a negative style, right? It'll be more on the attack as the incumbent. He has to, because there's no sunny way to talk about that played then. It's not going to play now. And listen, the, the person who created sunny ways, Gerald Butts, he knows all about that. But he mm. also knows how to do it in reverse. And Trudeau, they're longtime friends. Trudeau trusts him implicitly. They're joined at the hip. I mean, even if he wasn't in the PMO, he was certainly mm-hmm. on some sort of direct dial. Mm. Uh, and, and I think everybody on the inside knew that Gerald Butts would be back for the campaign. There's nobody that Trudeau is going to trust other than Gerald Butts in terms of a confidence, confidant and in terms of a strategist in order to try and lead him to a second term. All right, last question. Got about a minute left. Can't leave you without asking you, uh, after the fallout of uh, uh, the Robert Mueller testimony and such, are we still where we were when this all started? Is there any gains for anybody out of this, any losses for either side? I think it's it's neutral. Um, you know, I, I have a bit of a conundrum with this. Number one, here is a man, a president, a sitting president who engaged in, you know, let's use a Nixonian term, dirty tricks. 
And if he wasn't a president, then, you know, he would have been convicted. But you can't indict a sitting president. You know, that that precedent was set, obviously, many years ago, just in case. Um, you know, the Democrats did not get the smoking gun that they wanted to. Not enough that they could create very hard-hitting commercials in uh, battle states. I think that also, the you know, we didn't hear Robert Mueller speak for about two years. And he just wasn't, you know, going to go in front of the press. And, and you used to see him walking and, and whatnot. He had a very purposeful stride. But, you know, when he, and, and this is a, a Vietnam veteran, I believe, but when he got yeah. up, I was a little bit um, taken off guard by his demeanor. He was a bit shaky. He was a mm. bit stumbly over his words. And then I remembered, you know, this is an old guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is an older man. Yeah. Not to say that old, old, you know, older men speak, you know, very stumbly, but... You know, when you're put under pressure for five hours, yeah, yeah. you know, you're not going to stand up there like Brett Kavanaugh and, you know, mm-hmm. hellfire and brimstone. And he was very, very careful with his wording. He knew exactly where he could push it and where he didn't. And he listened back to the testimony. A lot of it is, and you're counseled on how to answer these questions, is yes, no, yes, no. So really, uh, you know, I know some Democrats saying, how can we let this go by? How can we just turn a blind eye to this? And I do have a problem with that. How can you turn a blind eye to it? But at the end of the day, what's your end result going to be? Because all they care about at this point is winning the next election. Time to move on. Alyssa Freeman has been with us, public relations consultant principal at Alyssa PR. Alyssa, as always, thanks so much for the time. Have a great weekend. And you too, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.